Welcome to the Steve Stein Guitar Podcast, brought to you by GuitarZoom.com. If you want to improve your guitar playing, keep listening. If you want to improve even faster, go to GuitarZoom.com, where you'll find all of Steve's premium courses, masterclasses, and memberships that'll help you quickly and easily improve your playing. Now, here's your host, Steve Stein. So my ear just went. Uh. <laughs> yep. Very cool, dude. Yeah. So how you doing? I'm doing great, man. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Good. Guys, thank you for being here. We appreciate you showing up to these live workshops that Steve and I are doing for you. We um, are currently doing the creative soloing workshop series creative soloing workshop series. It'll be available for you in a playlist in case you missed any of the previous sessions. You can go back and check that out on the, on the YouTube channel. Just click on playlist and it'll be there for you. It's called creative soloing. All of these workshops that we're doing guys are from Steve's new course. It's called creative soloing by Steve Stein. It's available at guitarzoom.com. So if you enjoy this, if you like to learn how to make your creatives, uh, your creatives, how to make more creatives, how to make <laughs> your guitar solos sound more creative, more musical, more inspiring, um, more dynamic, then keep watching. I hope you'll enjoy this. And if you want to uh, learn it even faster, you can get Steve's new course, Creative Soloing by Steve Stein at GuitarZoom. Dot com. If somebody could put guitarzoom.com in the uh, comments, that would be super helpful to folks who are new and don't know us. Uh, I'm Dan Denley, founder of GuitarZoom. This is my good friend, Steve Stein. And today we're talking about arpeggios for creative soloing. Arpeggios, which are kind of intimidating sometimes to folks. Steve's going to break it down to you in a really simple way that's easy to understand. And uh, hopefully you'll get a lot out of this session today. If you have any comments, please put them over there. And also tell us where you're from. That's always fun for Steve and I to see where you guys are from. And uh, if you have any questions, pop them over there and we'll try to try to help you as best we can. So go ahead, my friend. Where are we taking from here? Okay. Well, basically, again, from the creative soloing aspect of, of arpeggios, some people don't know all their theories. So they don't always necessarily know the root, the third, the fifth, and all that sort of thing. So again, if we're, if we're visualizing the scale patterns on our fretboard, we can come up with some really great stuff. So what I'm going to do is just start off by showing you kind of a logical arpeggio that really does follow the rules, follow the guidelines of, of music theory. And then we're going to kind of go off from there. And uh, I'm going to show you how to visualize it from a patternized perspective. So let's say, for instance, again, we're looking at E minor. Okay. So what I'm going to do is here is I'm going to play an E minor arpeggio using the, the root, the third, and the fifth, if you know what that is. And if you don't, it, it's okay, all right? Because uh, you can use the things I show you, and you're going to be able to visualize the patterns that I show you as well. So let's say we put our pinky on the seventh fret of the fifth string, and we go from there to the fifth fret of the next string, and the fourth fret of the next string. So right there, we're playing the root, the third, and the fifth of an E minor uh, chord. And again, if you don't know what that means, it's okay. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that same idea 
and I'm going to slide into a new position and I'm going to play those same notes again. I'm playing the ninth fret of the third string, the eighth fret of the second string, and the seventh fret of the first string. And it sounds quite nice. And then I'm going to end that by heading up to the 12th fret of the first string. So I'm playing the root, the third, the fifth, the root, the third, the fifth, and then the root all over again, okay? And that in itself makes for a, a great little pattern that you could learn. For me, it's just not colorful enough. It's just playing the root, third, and fifth. So what I wanna do is I wanna make it a little more colorful. So if I do this, if I take the first part of that pattern, which was the E and the G and the B, and what I'm gonna do is from there, I'm gonna think that 2-1-2 pattern idea that I talked about in the last workshop, I'm gonna start implementing that 2-1-2 concept into this arpeggio. Mm -hmm. So I'm going from here to here to here, and for now we've got a single note here and a single note here, and then when I get to the fourth fret here, I'm gonna add on my pinky at the seventh fret. We've got ourselves a nice, fresh new note. So I'm now playing two notes on that string. Then I'm going to head over here, and I'm going to play the fifth fret of the second string. Okay, now that note right there is E, so I'm playing the root, the third, the fifth, and if you know anything about your theory, I'm actually adding in the seventh right there. And then I'm going to the root, third, fifth again. So I've essentially taken the same idea, but I've added in one new color note, which is the seventh, but I'm adding it in again from this creative soloing aspect of playing two, one, two patterns. Now check this out. Mm -hmm. So I've got seven, five, and then four and seven. There's a two pattern. Five, there's a one pattern. And then three and seven. And there's my two pattern. Now watch this, on the bottom, instead of just starting on the E there, I want to spice this up by making it into a two pattern. I'm going to add in the note C. <laughs> so now I've got... Now the C would actually be the fourth, which is a little bit awkward. And again, if you don't know your theory, don't worry about it. I'm more concerned with you thinking about what it looks like and what it sounds like. There's our E. Now I might take and play that. And then drop into one of my other ideas, right? So I'm not just playing arpeggios all the time around the fretboard, but if I am gonna play them, I'm trying to find a way to creatively make it, again, using all the other tools we've been talking about since the beginning of this workshop, using some intervals, some dynamic contrast. Um, now we're using these two one two patterns, right? To make the interval sound a little more interesting, but all the while trying to make the pattern itself comfortable, functional for your fingers. <laughs> Okay, now when I do that, I'm starting on the note C, but please understand that that doesn't make that my root or anything. It's just a note that I'm playing from the scale itself. Because I can, I can 
I can make it sound however I want in terms of emphasis, but that's a whole other kind of conversation there. But oftentimes when we're learning, we think that just because we're starting with a note, that means that's what key we're in or what chord we're trying to emphasize. And that doesn't necessarily mean that at all. I can certainly start with that C. I'm just not emphasizing that note C. See, as I play it, if I come out of that and I emphasize an E, all of a sudden it begins to sound more like E minor. And remember, if, if I leave that C off, I am playing E minor. I'm just adding that C for color. Awesome, dude. Yeah. Well, and okay, so in if you got any questions, we'll talk about it. And then I'm going to show you something that's really cool that doesn't require any extra effort at all. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so let, let me ask a couple questions. Sure. Um we have guys we've talked about uh the, the, he just mentioned the two on two pattern if you're confused about what that means basically just means two notes per string or one note per string there's an entire workshop on that you can go to the playlist and check that out on the creative soloing playlist um, we talked about meandering which is a whole nother concept we talked about phrasing we talked about creative skill patterns we've talked about intervallic soloing and dynamic contrast and now we're talking about these arpeggios one question I see, Steve, is do you have to – hold on. Let me get this right. The question is, do you have to play – I think essentially the question is, do you have to play all the notes up the arpeggio, or can you like just play, like say, three strings or two strings? Do you have to play oh. like a – No, no, no. Of course you can play anything you like. The, the goal is, is the visualization. That's the goal. It's being able to visualize the pattern. You can play as little or as much of it as you choose, right? Because again, coming up very soon here, we've got a workshop on escape routes. What I'm always thinking about, um, I, let me say that slower so you know what I just said, escape routes or escape routes, wherever you're from <laughs> in the world, right? Okay. I always think about getting into something and then getting out of something. That's the goal. If I'm just playing a pattern or a lick or whatever, I'm going to get stuck at some point. So I'm always thinking about an escape route or an escape route, how I can get out of that or how I can get into that. So if I was playing an E minor, right there I'm in. You're in your... I'm in the 212 I just showed you. Okay. Because now I could go, I could head right into there. See, it's sitting right there. Three, five, or excuse me, three, seven, five, four, seven, five, three, seven. I can see it sitting right there. So when I'm playing, right there, I lock in and I'm ready to go. Or right there, I lock in, but I'm on the wrong finger. Mm -hmm. You see, that's going to screw up what I'm trying to do over there because I'm on the wrong finger. Again, I'm giving away all the escape route stuff, but you get it. So if I wound up on this finger, I would wind up doing what we talked about in the Lax workshop and going into another 212 pattern. I'm mm -hmm. always aware of what finger I'm on and where I land of what my available options are at that point in time, you see? 
Mm-hmm. So if I was playing an E minor, and I'm here, right there on that third finger, I could head over into what we're talking about now. Or I could have head into what we talked about in the last workshop. Mm -hmm. So I'm always conscious of the, the options that I have available to me depending on how, I, see if I wound up on this finger, I can't work over there. Does that make sense? Yes. It makes a ton of sense. Yeah. So you always have to be aware, even though you're working on a particular idea, if you don't wind up on the right, the proper finger in the, on the proper fret, it's going to be hard to execute that idea. Right. So for whoever it was that asked that question, you can, you can move into it any string you want. You can sift into it, but you have to be aware that you're trying to make your way into it. Now, if you're just starting the phrase off with it, you could start it anywhere you want. You might go. See what I did there? So at some point I shifted out of that arpeggio that I'm showing you right now. Right here, boom, I'm now shifted out. So now what do I want to do? I could play the scale. I could play the 212. Right? I could go into whatever I want at that point. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the, the, the. If you're enjoying this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, go to guitarzoom.com and consider becoming a premium member. There are three memberships to choose from. VIP, which gives you instant access to a library of short but powerful courses as well as new bite-sized lessons each month. There's also Play Songs that gives you step-by-step -step lessons so you can learn to play your favorite songs fast. And finally, there's Masterclass, university-level training on everything from soloing to music theory, from blues to home recording. For more info about these memberships and all the premium courses available to you, go to guitarzoom.com. Now back to the podcast. One of the most important things about this course that we're getting into in our workshops here um, at this point is understanding all the tools that we've been talking about are leading to this idea that as you get more creative and you're now, like we talked about it very early on in the workshop, you want to be aware of what finger you're on. Right. You want to be aware of the sliding, the places that are most comfortable for you to slide on the fretboard. All these things we talked about earlier on in the workshop. Now you're seeing them come to light as you start adding these more. I mean, we can call them elaborate or advanced or whatever you want to call them. But these other ideas on top, you know, if I just go. Well, then I'm done. There's nothing else for me to do. I finished the pattern. I ran out of strings and I got nothing else to do. Right. So I've got to learn how to shift out of this thing. I might play the whole pattern. Now I'm on my pinky. So what am I going to do? Well, logic says I'll probably come down that way because I have available fingers over here. Mm -hmm. I don't have anything available here. Gotcha. Right? So you, you become aware of that when you're playing. Whenever you're moving around... I'm constantly shifting my positions depending on what my mind is telling me that I want to do. If I shift down, again, if I shift down here with my first finger, I've got these fingers available. 
right? If I'm here and I shift down, I've got these fingers available. And I know it seems like a logical thing, like people might look at it and go, well, that make, that's logical. It is, but you need to have something prepared when that happens. Or you wanna start learning how to shift on the proper finger. So the next idea that you've got is now easily accessible when you're soloing. Because that's one of the reasons why I found people don't realize they run out of ideas. They're playing the mm. right lick or they're playing whatever they want, but they're not setting themselves up for the next motion. Mm, from a hand position standpoint. Yes, absolutely. Because that's the whole point of what we're doing here. It isn't really about whether it's a C major seven, add nine arpeggio, which it is, if you know what that is or an E minor seven arpeggio, it's not about that. It's about the proper fingering to create something that sounds unique to the ear, it feels good to the fingers, and ultimately sets you up for the availability of shifting into something else that's creative. Right. <clears throat> that makes a ton of sense. Man, one thing occurred to me when, as you were playing is that, <clears throat> remember those old uh, Hot Licks VHS videos you and I used to watch yeah. a million years ago? Oh yeah. You know, I remember getting those, you know, wait, you had to order them out of the back of Musician's Friend magazine or whatever, or catalog or whatever, mail it in and send them your check or whatever, and send them your beer money, you know, that you saved up in your check and, and they send you the old VHS and you're like ripping into it like a monkey on a cupcake and you put it in the uh, VHS and you press play and you're like, I can't wait to learn all of, you know, Marty Friedman's uh, tricks and hacks and whatever. And then about uh, 10 minutes into it, you like want to smash your head into the TV because you realize that this guy is a great player. I'm not picking on Marty. I don't, I don't even remember if he's a good teacher or not, <clears throat> but uh, you get to a point where you're like, wow, like this guy can play, but he hasn't really thought out how to explain this to another human being of what he's doing. Right. He's just like, and you're like, of, can you break that down in the smallest element? And I want to read to you a comment. Uh, this, this gentleman's name is Paul. He says, Steve, you break it all down to the ridiculous, which makes you such a great teacher. He says, man, I could keep watching you for hours on end. I watch everything that, Steve's, that has Steve Stein's name on it. Thanks and keep up the good work. That's an awesome comment, Paul. I really appreciate that. But, but Steve, I think the, the great, uh, one of the reasons you have such incredible success uh, as a player and a teacher is that you have that ability to take something that's really complicated and break it down into its smallest component and explain it in a way that pretty much anybody can understand. Because as I'm watching you weave all of these things together, the meandering and the phrasing and the dynamic contrast and the two, one, two patterns and the one, two, three patterns and the, um, the arpeggios and everything, it's just like, that's the thing that great players oftentimes can't really explain what they're doing. And you have that unique element in that you've not only you can do it, but you can say, and here's, here's a four bar phrase. And let me break it down to you in each bar, like each measure, each right. technique. And that way people can latch onto it. Right. Well, I appreciate that. And, and I just want everybody to understand that when I'm telling you these things and when I'm explaining these things, it's not that I'm negating the importance of theory, right? Or the importance of technique or knowing what goes into our pitch. It's not about any of those things. I think all of those things are important. But again, I don't think you have to lump 17 things into the same little square that you're trying to learn. Like right now, the goal is is understanding how to move around the fretboard, how to make the fretboard sound more creative, how to connect ideas from one idea to the next. The thought process of why it's working or 
what's what it is and things like that. I think those are really important. It's just what I have found with a lot of players is if that's where the brain goes to first, the music doesn't always get a chance to come out. Mm. And with music, music is really supposed to be for the for the ears, not for the eyes, right? Mm. We live in a, a video age, a digital age where everything's about watching things. But there was a time when we listened. And the whole thing about playing is that I think so many people are waiting to get to some certain level before they can actually learn how to play. Like they have to know <laughs> a certain amount of information or they have to have studied a certain amount of, you know, spent some number of hours of playing scales or something. And none of that is true. It's all important. It's all important. But there's no reason why you can't learn how to make music creatively without having learned all of that first. Mm-hmm. It all can kind of work hand in hand along the journey as much or a little as little of each one of those things as you want. You know, you think of people like Eddie Van Halen, who admittedly can't tell you anything about anything when it comes to logic, but he plays amazing. Right. And that doesn't make him better than the player that knows what they're doing. I'm not. It's never about comparisons. I'm just saying that I think it's very feasible to learn how to play creatively, learn how to solo, make your phrasing sound authentic, make your playing sound authentic, and not have overanalyzed every single thing that you possibly could do with that situation before you actually try to do it. Yeah. You learn to play while you're learning about playing, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. You learn to play while you are learning about playing. That's right. You know? You learn by doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's what I want people to do is if you can turn on a jam track and you can, you know, in E minor or whatever key you're you're soloing in, right? And you can learn whatever it is you want out of this guitar, whatever sounds it is you want to try and squeeze out of this thing you're getting closer to the accomplishment of being able to do that, right? By looking at your fretboard in a different way, instead of... And even that can be very musical in its own place, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. there's nothing... Like in the beginning, we talked about how to try and make our, our scales not sound like we're just playing a scale. Right. Well, at some point we come back around to the fact that being able to do that is part of the game. It's part of this Mm -hmm. whole thing. We can make the scale just sound like we're playing a scale, but the difference is we're not doing that because it's the only tool we have. It's the only knowledge we have. We've learned about meandering. We've learned about all these other things and how to get creative. And now all of a sudden, when we go back to playing that scale, like a scale, it sounds creative. Right. You see? So it kind of brings it to the circle. I love it. Awesome, dude. What else you got for us, man? Well, I think, oh, I was going to show you the one secret little thing here that's super. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I was to take this thing that I just showed you, playing three, seven, five, four, seven, five, three, seven. Now I'm in E minor slash G major, right? If I took that exact same thing and I moved up to the 10th fret and did the exact same thing. That will work in E minor slash G major, okay? When I say E minor slash G major, I mean the key of E minor or the key of G major, which are relative major and minor. And if you know any modes, it fits into all that, but... So 
so I would wrap both those ideas, the exact same shape. I would wrap that with other stuff around it, right? But I'm able to visualize those two shapes. So it's a really great way of, you know, think about G in your head. Sounds really nice if we had E minor. See again, it sounds really nice. So it's not always about like I meet a lot of a lot of players that when they're on E minor they play an E minor arpeggio, or when they're on G major they play a G major arpeggio. There's nothing wrong with those. That's absolutely legitimate. The problem is, is if you're always just doing that, you're losing the color. Like there isn't as much color going on. So, and, and, and that's a whole other conversation in itself. I'm just telling you that it's okay to get out of that box and make arpeggios that are more creative sounding. That sounds super cool. Now, can you, I'm sorry, the, 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 the connection there, the big aha was that the pattern is the same. The, is that the right? pattern's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. I'm just moving from C up here to G. Got it. If you think of it from the first note, from where you're- Okay, first, yeah, yeah. Right, if, from a visual perspective, not from a theory perspective. So if I was in E, I can go to the C here and play that shape. And I can go up to G and play that same shape. And it works oh. over E minor or G major. Yeah, or, or any mode of that nature. Right? I mean, if you knew your modes, it'd work with any of those. Because again, you're not emphasizing any one note. Right. You're not playing this arpeggio so the notes correlate with the chord. You're playing it because it sounds creative. Got it. It's when you come out of that arpeggio, what do you do next that's going to tie it into whatever chord you might be on at that point in time? Yeah. Fascinating. Good stuff. Guys, if you've enjoyed this, please subscribe and hit the notify button to get uh, notified of when we're going to be doing another creative soloing workshop session if you missed any of the previous ones that are available for you on the channel just go to the playlist called creative soloing you can watch all of them there we've already done meandering phrasing intervallic soloing creative scale patterns dynamic contrasts and now today was our pages for creative guitar solos if you've enjoyed this i would encourage you to go to guitarzoom.com and check out steve's new course all of this stuff that we've talked about is all related to that course broken down for you step by step it's called creative soloing by steve stein available for you at guitarzoom.com what else buddy i think that's enough for this one i do too man yep good stuff thank you very much for being here steve it's always a pleasure a highlight of my day to hang out with you guys thank all of you of course for being here if you got something out of this please subscribe and 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 uh, maybe share this with somebody that you think might be able to benefit. That would be cool. And uh, we'll see you on the next session. Thanks for being here. Awesome. Thank you, everybody. Take care and stay positive. Keep practicing. Nice. Bye. Next time on the Steve Stein Guitar Podcast. Which one, which one sounds better on your end? That one or this one? I like both, but I'm, from a uh, learning standpoint, I'm going to go with the last one. The second one? Yeah.
I like the crunchier one, but just maybe. Well, this one, this one's a little bit brighter where that was a little bit meatier. I love them both, but yeah. Okay, cool. We'll use that one. Cool. Hey, Steve Stein here from guitarzoom.com. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, can I ask you a favor? Please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with a friend. Your feedback means more to me than you'll ever know. And be sure to check out my YouTube channels where you'll find over 1,000 videos to help you with your guitar playing. Thanks again for listening. Stay positive, keep playing, and keep having fun. If you'd like some help with your guitar playing but you're not sure how to get started, go to guitarzoom.com and look for the Help Me Choose survey. By answering a few simple questions, you'll get Steve's personal recommendation of the perfect course for you. All this and more is available for you at guitarzoom.com.